Hi again, everybody. I'm Jamie Allison, and this is the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast. This is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different genres, different niches, different areas of expertise that are all doing really cool things in their space. Um, they, we talk to CEOs. We talk to high-level athletes. We talk to people who are just doing kind of professional things in their area that uh, really move the needle and that hopefully things that we can take away, little bits of, of their advice and their journeys and, and translate them into our own lives. And and I know today is going to be really exciting. It is for me. Um, just before we jump into that, um, a couple of uh, quick mentions is, is one is that uh, we have uh, started working with Epitome Sportswear. Um, they're designed to kind of help unlock your full potential and perform at your best. Um, they, like us, believe in a whole life kind of success mindset in that uh, um, you, it might be feeling comfortable in a, in a workout, but it's also enjoying, you know, a, a fresh air hike with a friend, maybe Maybe it's also being in a cold arena, um, watching your your daughter skate or your daughter uh, play hockey. One of those things, um, you know, you've got to make sure that you feel good in that environment. And and they uh, their sportswear is is really based on um, living life fully. The other thing that's really cool for us in that relationship is that it's important for them to give back to the communities that they serve as well. So they are working to impact the inequities in opportunity for girls and women in sport. Um, and for that reason, a portion of their profits go directly to organizations and initiatives that support those uh, things as well. So um, be sure to check them out. It's epitome sportswear, E-P-I-T-O-M-E sportswear.com. Or you can go into our Instagram profile and you'll be able to see some information about uh, them there. Uh, So this is actually really exciting for me. I'm going to give a bit of an intro. I I know if um, people have already clicked on this, uh, there's there's not a lot of intro I can do that uh, will do it justice. So um, I, I know that for more than 30 years um, in both amateur and professional figure skating, Elizabeth Manley um, is just kind of one of those icons. Um, She was the first Canadian female to successfully land a triple-double combination jump in competition. She's participated in two Olympic Games, six world championships, and has won three national titles. She's probably most famous for having the performance of her life in Calgary 1988 to win the Olympic silver medal in women's figure skating. She followed that up just a few weeks later with another silver at the World Championships. And now she's very much an advocate for mental health and has spoken to, a lot of people might not know this, to over 700 schools on the importance of mental health, bullying, and suicide prevention. She's a, provin- a professional speaker, a life coach, and philanthropist, and has spoken to corporations all over North America. So, um, you know, this is, this is actually really cool for me because I will tell you, uh, Liz, that I was one of those people that, um, you know, was totally inspired watching you back in 88. And, um, you know, so uh, this is just really cool to be able to talk to you, period. Um, but again, thank you for taking the time. You've, you've got a really busy life. So I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's always, um, it's always fun to talk about you know, things that I've accomplished or I've done because I tend to sometimes forget. (laughs) It's one of those, one of those ways of being able to hear it again. And oh yeah, I forgot I did those things. I know, I know. I'm still the normal girl that takes her garbage out on Wednesdays and you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, you know, one of the things, I mean, obviously people really know about kind of this, this really cool big event and the inspired performance in 1988. And I do want to get to that, but I, I also do want to, if we could work back a little bit, because I know that there was a lot of things that led up to that, that, that kind of made you who you were and probably also made that performance that much more, um, you know, impactful for you. So can you walk right. us through a little bit about, you know, that those early years and, and getting to that performance? 
Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's quite a long story, but it's, um, you know, I was that young girl that was coming up in an elite sport at a young age. And, um, you know, there was a lot of things going on off the ice. Um, you know, my parents getting divorced, um, brothers off playing hockey, my mom struggling to keep me in skating because she knew how much I loved it. Um, there was never really that that thought that I was going to do something great with skating. But, you know, there was this there was this little thing inside me my my brothers used to torment me they used to put me in the net on street hockey they'd shoot pucks at me you know I was just a kid's sister right and I remember as a really young kid my my goal in life was I was going to be better than them I was going to show them I was going to prove them right so that was really how I got into skating because they were in hockey and when girls hockey wasn't big back you know in my time Yep. But um, we used to get a million phone calls for ringette. I'll tell you that my poor mother, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, it was kind of a, I just wanted to prove I could be just as good as my brothers on the ice. And uh, ironically, how the story unfolded is uh, I end up winning the Olympic medal. They don't make the NHL. So it's like, <laughs> there's a little bit of a sore spot there in the Manly family, but yeah. um, <laughs> it was, but, you know, I, I fell in love with the sport, the sport. I, um, there was something inside me that loved being committed to something and going for something and something that was challenging. Uh, figure skating is very challenging. I mean, you know, we don't have the gear on and, you know, we take hard falls and things like that. But a series of things started unraveling for me when I was about 13, 14 years old. And that was, you know, my, I was an Air Force brat. So, you know, we lived in the Trenton Belleville area and we moved to Ottawa and, and then, you know, things started to kind of unravel. My parents got divorced. My mom was struggling to keep me in the sport and not even realizing it. I was trained, you know, and it's very, it's real today, to be honest, but you tend to be trained not to show your emotions and not to show your feelings because you want to be, you know, you want to be looked at as tough and a tough competitor. And, you know, I was competing against Eastern Bloc countries and, you know, they were always the scary ones when they walked in the rink. And so, you know, I kept a lot inside. And then when things started to, um, kind of move into a direction um, where suddenly I was a national champion and then my coach left me. Um, he became very ill and, you know, and I didn't know at the time that he was ill. He just kind of played that he wasn't good enough to take me to an Olympics or a world. And, and, you know, and I didn't believe that because in a matter of three, four years, he made me into a national champion from a little girl from Trenton, Ontario. Right. Yeah. And um, later on in life to find out he had AIDS and he didn't want me to go through you know, him, his illness and things. So I was shipped away to the U.S. at 16 years old, um, which was very scary. Um, you know, in those days, I thought the U.S. was, you know, thousands of miles away. It was a strange country, only to find out it was a three-hour drive to Lake Placid. <laughs> and, uh, but things just started to fall apart. Um, I, at one point, after about eight weeks of being in the States, um, I noticed there was a, a real physical change happening in me. And one of them was a water retention weight gain. And weight was always, you know, a, a troublesome thing for me because I'm only four foot 11 and I'm tiny. And, you know, I had lots of muscles. So when I put a little bit of weight on, you know, the muscle definition disappeared. So I looked big. And so I would struggle with this weight thing. And so when I saw the weight just gaining rapidly and I was training eight, nine hours a day, um, I called my mom and, um, you know, the first question is, what are you eating? You know, and, uh, you know, I, 
there was nothing to do with my eating. And then one of the other symptoms was I noticed my hair was falling out. And to be a 16 year old girl and to start to lose your hair, you know, it's definitely a sign of something. Um, and to kind of make a very long story short, my mom drove down there, she packed me up, she brought me back to Ottawa. And she really blamed herself, which was hard on me, because, you know, I wanted to go there, I wanted that opportunity um, that was given to me to continue to train to make the Olympic Games. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I just I fell apart in a matter of about three or four weeks back in Ottawa, I went completely bald. And I gained a tremendous amount of water weight. And when I when I talk about the water weight, it was like I couldn't get jewelry on my skates would cramp. It was just really hard time. And, you know, spending weeks going doctors to doctors and no one understanding what was happening. You know, how can a 16-year-old girl just lose all her hair and gain all this water retention? And I finally got into a specialist. And that was when I was diagnosed as having depression, anxiety, and a nervous breakdown. And it was a shock to my family, um, more so educational-wise. The first thing that came out of my family's mouth was, well, there's no history of mental health in our family. And that's a big, you know, that's part of the stigma, right? It doesn't have to be. Everybody's different and everybody's in And of course, then the whole question was, was skating doing this to me? Right. So, you know, was it too much pressure at 16 years old representing a country being their national champion? And, um, you know, I, I was given I was given options to help me. And one of the options was drug therapy. And I was drug tested constantly as an international competitor on the national team. So anything, you know, back in the 80s, Jamie, they didn't know what to make illegal. So, you know, just to give you an example of the Olympics, yeah. Diet Coke was illegal because of caffeine. Oh, really? Like it was. Oh, wow. yeah. And I remember Hall's wow. Candy was one of our sponsors. And then we yeah. found out there was something illegal in the Hall's Candy. <sighs> So it was, you know, it was all over the place. So the thought of me taking something and still kind of thinking I'd like to maybe skate if if the chance ever came back. Um, so then the other option was talk therapy. And in the 80s, way too expensive, just not the availability like like think, thankfully we're seeing today that there is a lot of individuals out there. Um, so it, it came down to me deciding I was going to cure myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't know if it's a mixture, you know, I'm kind of comparing to what we're seeing today in the professional sports with the NHL and things like that. It's like, you know, was that a smart decision? Was that just I was afraid for people to know that I was going mm-hmm. through? You know, there's a lot of questions, right? Yeah. Um, somebody reached out and offered me help. And the best part about this situation was he offered me help pro bono because he knew that I had the talent. He was an amazing psychologist, sports psychologist here from Ottawa, but he also specialized in just being a psychologist. And, you know, to, to kind of sum it up really quickly, you know, one session turned into 10, turned into hundreds, turned into me going to Calgary and standing on that podium. And the ironic part of all what I experienced was I would say 75% of my emotional issues had nothing to do with skating. It was just me holding on to a lot of emotions, you know, my father living in Europe now with the Air Force, my brother's off playing hockey, seeing my mom struggle. So I was carrying all this and was afraid to open up about it. And this is what we're seeing in teenagers today, especially in sports. They're afraid to to say things. 
And um, so it was quite the journey for me. And, you know, the moment in Calgary, it, it was so much more to my family than what it was. Um, you know, I do so many speaking engagements on mental health and everything and really what I call my medal and as proud as I am of having a medal and, you know, you see the pictures behind me of that night and moments, but it was a, it was a medal in life. It was understanding my resiliency and, and being able to get through it. Um, Jamie, I'm not afraid to be open about this, but the night that we made the decision that I wouldn't try drug therapy or that we couldn't afford talk therapy. I, I was very suicidal. Yeah. You know, I was a 16 year old girl that felt like I had let the entire country down. I had let everyone who was supporting me and backing me in the sport down. And that's a lot. That's a lot on a, on a young girl. And, um, and I think having that courage to say, yes, I'll go for help. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. Because I yeah. don't know where I would have ended up if I hadn't done that. And I'm so blessed and so grateful for, you know, taking that step and being open about my life. And that's why after the Olympics, I became the person I was. I was an advocate for mental health. I was, ironically, I was the pioneer for yeah. athletes in Canada. I was the first one to come out and, yeah. and talk about mental health. And because it was in the 80s, um, it really got brushed under the carpet. People weren't ready. Yep. The stigma was at its highest and people didn't want to put Canada's sweetheart in the same mm-hmm. sentence as mental health. They weren't, they didn't want that. They just wanted that memory of that girl in the pink dress and the cowboy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, I was frustrated because I really wanted to, you know, expose what I went through. And, and even if I helped one person, that's what it meant to me. Um, but now today sitting here, we can have this conversation and I'm so thankful that I'm now in a place in my life where people are listening and they're understanding and they're, they're getting it now. Um, This is, you know, it's a pandemic in mental health right now. Yeah. You know, and well, that's, that's what we were talking about a little bit there Liz, yeah. is that it's, it's probably, um, you know, it's, it's a lot more widespread than maybe it was before. How, yeah. I guess in what you do, especially now and some of the conversations mm-hmm. that you're having, do you see it? Um, do you see it more often or is it also that, um, uh, you know, some of that stigma has come away? Is it a combination of those two things? Is it, is it kind of more prevalent, less prevalent? What do, what do you think? I, I think it's more prevalent. Um, you know, I, I applaud, especially the pro athletes that have, you know, the Carey Prices, the Simone Biles, the, the people that are actually making a stand and saying, I need help. I need to, to get through this. And, um, you know, and, and that was me 30 years ago, 33 years ago. Gosh, hard hard to believe I'm only 33, but anyways, um, (laughs) but you know what I mean? And so it's, we are talking about it now. We have a long way to go still. I mean, there's a lot. And I, and I don't think the mental health system, um, you know, is ready for what's come out of this pandemic people are really depressed and really struggling and that's the type of people that I'm working with right now actually an organization I'm working with is the police Ottawa police force Mm -hmm. so I'm working with about 30 officers because you know I looked at what happened in the news over the last months with the stigma against police and you know uh, black lives matter things like that there are some good police officers out there that are really struggling because yeah. 
They feel like they're hated. So I offered my services to them and I've had incredible success with these officers. Yeah. You know, it's almost like they can't get enough of me, you know, like yeah. they just, it, it just, it gets them going and it gives them that confidence back again. And, um, and this is how we need to be as a society. We need to support each other and we need to inspire each other and, um, and, and, and not be angry. And it's, it is hard not to be angry today. Yeah. You yeah. know, with the yeah, world. There's so much. And well, uh, how have you seen Liz? Like you've, you've got, um, you talk to a lot of students as well and, and things like that. Yeah. And there's, um, there's such an impact and, and it, it would be interesting because you think back when, when you were, you know, 14, 15, 16, um, and maybe when you're going away for that time period, social media can be really great and really not so great because maybe you might've had more of a connection with, with family and some of those people through that, if that was available back then. Um, But then there's the whole other side that people are dealing with now too. And, and, you know, do you have thoughts on, on that as to, to kind of what you see with social media and people comparing themselves and things like that? Yeah. You know, in my opinion, you know, if I had, my one wish would be that I could just be off social media. You know, I really do. But, you know, I have a career and people want to know what I'm doing and things like that. So, you know, it's very understandable, but, you know, working with, like you say, schools and kids and, and hearing their stories of what they're going through and being bullied. And then I've experienced it a few times on social media and I'm not going to lie. Like I've been in tears for days because, you know, people will just rip you apart and you're like, why, what did I do? Like, you know, and it's, it's very hard. So can you imagine the average teenage kid that just goes home every day, but is, is, is experiencing this online and things like that. I think the social media aspect, um, though it's working really hard at getting out positiveness and gratefulness and all this that we're seeing, there's still that that part um, that people are hiding behind screens and just feel like they're in control. And that's that's the issue. Right. It's yeah. like, oh, it's so easy to hide behind a screen and make a comment to somebody and uh, it makes them feel good. But, you know, it all stems down to and this is what I say to kids, you know, when you're being bullied or you're being attacked, it's actually not about you. It's about them they're dealing with something that they can't handle. And, um, you know, so their reactions, they're reacting and not responding. And their reactions can be not nice, you know, and they can be intimidating or, or so forth. But um, I'm lucky. Well, there's, I'm lucky that there wasn't social media in my day, because what I was going through and how people reacted to me was not a good, it wasn't a pretty site. People were scared of me. They thought I was contagious. They thought, you know, <laughs> they didn't yeah. understand what was going on with me. And, um, but you know, the one thing I would have loved back in those days, cause I was homeschooling, um, you know, just being able to have a computer. We didn't even have computers in those days, you know, yeah. and, um, but you know, Skype to be able to zoom or talk to my parents. No, none of that yeah. happened. Right. So yeah. I was very isolated and that's what happens with people that, you know, suffer from depression and anxiety, they tend to isolate themselves because they don't understand it themselves, let alone anybody else understanding it. And they don't want, they don't want the impact of someone's comments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you talked about going through all the stuff you did when you were 16 and, and around that time period, 
Um, and then about how when things happened in 1988, how that was such a an impactful thing for your family, not just the event, right. but everything that came came out of that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people said that was your best performance ever. I guess two questions. One, was that your best performance ever? And what was what was it like emotionally knowing um, you, everything that you had went through in order to get there? Because I, I mean, for many people, yeah. an Olympic medal would have been pinnacle of everything anyway. Well, but then yes. to do that after all of those things is, is that a huge flood of emotion at the time? It, it really is. And I, and I can promise you that the tears and the facial expressions and everything that people saw in the middle of that ice in the saddle dome was a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. It was like, I did it. I remember my mom for years would say, honey, everything happens for a reason. And I used to get so angry, like, you know, stop with that. When is it going to, you know, you say everything happens for a reason. When's a reason going to happen? And I remember standing on the podium that night and I actually whispered these words to myself and I said, God, she was right. She was right. And, um, you know, and it's just such a, a resilient story for what I had been through and gone through. And interestingly enough, um, as exciting as that night was and as, as rewarding it as it was, it didn't end. Like yeah. four days after the Olympics, we got a call. Yeah, we got a call asking me not to go to the World Championships. And I was like, why? And they said, because we think Olympics was a fluke and you should take the medal and run. (laughs) So this is the kind of support that I was getting back in the day. And I was like, what do you mean it was a fluke? (laughs) And so I went to the worlds to prove prove them wrong. Um, But yes, to your first question, my best performance of my career was in 1986 at the world championships in Geneva. That was my, my all time best performance. Um, it, it just, it was one of those flawless. I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have skated it any better. Calgary. I was sick, you know, I had the flu and I wasn't feeling well. So, you know, I can, Knowing my program and knowing me, I could probably pick a few. Oh, that could have been better. This could have been better. Mm-hmm. And same with the world championships afterwards. I mean, it was a really good skate. It was better than Calgary. But I think my best performance was when I broke the top five in the world in 1986. Wow. And, and, and I, then I mean, my worst came the next year. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, we'll forget about that one anyway. Okay. You know, it's, you know it's, it's, we'll bell curve it and take those ones right off right, the end. Right. So. <laughs> Um, so, so now a lot of what you do is, I mean, you talked about some of the stuff you're doing with police services, but, but you, you've been a life coach for a while and, um, maybe just kind of talk to us a little bit about how you, um, you know, how you merge the things that you've learned from, from sports and, and some of the, um, resilience that you've had to build through that, but also translate that into, cause uh, lots of people I'm sure (laughs) benefit from that who maybe aren't athletes and are just looking to, to be able to, to kind of move forward in different ways in their life. How how have you done that? Well, the first thing I want to say to everyone who's listening is never, you're never too old for change. I mean, I changed my career at 50 years old and, it was the best thing I've ever done. So, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges with people today is they either one think they're too old to change their careers or two, they're afraid of change. You know, they're, they're kind of stuck in that comfort zone. But, you know, my opinion is I don't want to see anybody 90 years old looking back at their life and going, why didn't I just try that? Or why didn't I go for it? Right. Um, but I, I do have to say, um, you know, that whole experience 
you know, it was very powerful and it really taught me a lot about myself. And then I was pro for almost 30 years. So I was on the road, tours, train, you know, pro competitions, things like that. And it, and it wasn't any easier. It was a, a rougher schedule. Now I was dealing with people that were just worried about, box, you know, tickets being sold at the box office. If you're sick, we don't care. Get on the ice, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So over the years, you know, I, I dealt with a lot and I kind of kept going back to 1983 and remembering, okay, you did it then and you were just a kid, you can get through this. So it kind of empowered me to know no matter how bad things can get, I can get out of it. I can be resilient. I can work through it. And then about six years ago, I went through the roughest time of my life. And in, a, in two years, I, I had four major losses in my life. My mother, my father, a baby, and my dog. And I hit rock bottom again. Um, and I was scared. I'm not going to lie. I was scared. I was checking my hair every day. I was like keeping tabs on me. But I knew I was in a real bad place. And that turned into me going to a life coach. Mm-hmm. And she kicked my butt in one session and reminded me who I was, what I've been through, what I've done. And she said to me, do you realize that you would make probably the best life coach that's out there? And I said, well, why would you say that? And she says, because you've walked the talk. You get it. You understand it. And you have spent years advocating for mental health and speaking on it and everything. And, um, I tell you, 12 hours later, I was signing up to go back to school (laughs) and I decided this is what I wanted to do. She was right. And going through that whole education process for about a year and a half, it changed my life. It made me realize what I was really meant to be doing and what I was meant to be doing is to help others and to work with others and be there and, and help them through their journey of rough patches in life, make them understand that it's all part of life. I always use the saying, life is like a puzzle. You've got your bad pieces and you got your good pieces, but you need them all to make the puzzle. And that's how you accept that's your puzzle of life. And, um, from the moment I got certified and then I did a bunch of other modules. So I've added performance coach onto my uh, resume now. And it's mm-hmm. like, I know I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. And I've actually stepped away from the ice. Like this is my life now. This is my, my, my work. And as I said, I'm working with police association, Carleton university just brought me on board to work with students. Um, and, you know, as we were talking earlier, I, you know, I've been reaching out to NHL because I think that's an area that could really benefit from not only my experience, but my ambition to help people yeah. and to work, you know, help people work through their issues. Well, and, and I think you've spoken before about how um, even kind of, you know, back in, in your past as well, you did realize that a lot of other athletes, whether they're kind of hockey players or, or other athletes, we're going through similar things because there is this, um, and it's probably, I think, probably still there is there's a, a culture of you, um, it shows weakness to talk about that. And you're starting to see some of those things starting to change a little bit because of some some really courageous people. Um, but it's right. pretty recent, I think, that that's, that that's happening. Is, and right. is that true? Like, you were able to have some of those conversations early Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, here's a perfect example. When I was 14 years old, my off ice training partner, so we would be in the gym four nights a week lifting weights, and he was 14, was Steve Eiserman. 
<laughs> he was my training partner in the gym. Now I'm not going to go to the gym, Jamie, and start, oh, you know, complaining, right? No, I had to be like, Steve, I got to be tough, you know, and it, it's a facade. It's like acting, right? And I, I can tell you, there's a lot of athletes acting out there right now. They're, they're really, really struggling. And, you know, my husband is the biggest Montreal Canadiens fan in the world. And there's a team that's really struggling right now, mentally, emotionally, everything. Right. And, uh, and this is where my heart goes out. Like I, I, I understand when you're not having success and you're failing and you can't seem to pull it together. And, but you got to reach in deeper and figure out why are you feeling this way? what's making it right. And, but this is why I feel um, we're in such a better place, especially in the sporting world right now, because it's being more recognized. And, you know, the LA Kings, uh, apparently I've been told has two life coaches on staff, right. To work with the players off the ice. And, you know, and I've always said this sports psychologists are amazing, but they're really focused on what's going on in, in their sport and winning. And their mental, you know, whereas a life coach comes in and digs a little deeper and works on what's going on with you outside of the playing field. Let's talk about that because are you bringing it on the field or the ice or whatever, whatever it might be, whatever sport, you know, Um, and and I look at how do you move this way? How do you how do you go forwards? Let's not get too far in the past. That's the past. So let's start from here. What can we do to make you better? Right. And what do you need to make you better? And um, so that's kind of the emotional, personal side that I bring. And, and, you know, I'm working with all kinds of clients. I have a 13-year-old girl from Colorado Springs I work with, and I have a 72-year-old retired person that I'm working with. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I, it, it's amazing the, the genre of lifestyles, you know, that I'm working with. Um, and it's amazing, you know, it's amazing work. And it's amazing to see people kind of pick themselves up again, you know, it feels good. It feels good to me to see people inspired and going out. Yeah, I would assume their, their stories and what you see them going through are, are probably as much, you know, they may also come to you thinking, wow, this is inspirational to be able to do that. But I'm, I'm sure there's just as many times that, um, you know, the, the stories that you see and help them through are probably just as inspiring for you as oh, the, it, the coach. It, right? It's absolutely inspiring. Like it really is. And, you know, we, we, we tend to put professional athletes up on this platform, but they're real people. They're just like you and me and the, my neighbor and, and so forth. And that's what we tend to forget. You know, people have this vision, oh, celebrities, they've got it all. They've got lots of money. They can get help. It's not necessarily like that. And, you know, you look at Robin Williams. Who would have ever thought, you know? And um, so I treat everybody on the same level, you know? Let's say I was to work with Sidney Crosby. I would be working with him the same way I'm working with my 72 year old retired person. You know, I would be, you know, inspiring them, getting them moving and and so forth. And, um, and it's the little successes, you know, and it's, it's like winning the Olympics for me when I see a client that, that just, you know, has grabbed the world. It feels great, you know, um, to me, that's everything. And, and I really believe everything I've been through and the experience of being an athlete and understanding, you know, that kind of world and that really led me to where I am today. And I'm blessed. I really am. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that um, you have you have insights into resilience that a lot of people either don't have <laughs> or are trying to figure out. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I think that's uh, um, that's a pretty novel thing that you can bring to the table as well. But, um, but, but you, know, it, you don't you don't get I'm sorry, you don't you don't get over it. You know what I'm saying? Like right. depression, anxiety, that is something that you'll never really get over, but you'll learn how to live with it. And you can learn, you know, you can learn. I'm not going to lie. There's tears in my backyard a lot, right? Because I miss (laughs) my mom and, you know, things like that. You know, and I have my moments, but I know how to deal with them and how to, um, if I need to take a day off, I take a day off. It's a mental health day. And that's what we need society to understand. You need to take care of yourself mentally. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was, I was just, I mean, I think that's great because I, th- I think that's what people do need to understand because especially, I mean, you're a perfect example of that. I think if most people see what they would see of you most of the time is that you, um, even back then, was that you're, you're, you always have a smile on your face. You always come across as, as you know, the, the happiest person in the room, to be honest, most of the time. So, it, you know, it is important for people to understand that that may be what you see, but it doesn't always mean that that's the person's whole self at that time. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I had this amazing conversation with Stefan Richet, you know, famous Montreal Canadian hockey player. And I remember him telling me the story, you know, one of the nights he won the Stanley Cup, he went back to his hotel room and, you know, wanted to kill himself. He was so sad and so lonely and so um, like he had no one to celebrate with. Like he just was in a really dark place. I mean, that's heavy. You know, that's, that's really, um, he just had the greatest moment of his entire career. And then he's alone in a hotel room and, um, And it's sometimes that transition too, right? Because there's suddenly like, it's, it's either at the end of careers for people, whether that's, and that doesn't just, isn't just sports. It can be somebody who's coming to a point where they're, they're moving on from a job or they're having to figure out something new. There's, there's, what do I do in that transition can be just as difficult for people. So it's scary. It's it's scary for athletes because the body can only hold on so long. And then what is there, right? right? I was lucky I was in a sport that there was a professional side to it. But you think of like the skiers and all that, right? Like mm-hmm. Olympics, that's it, right? And then they can go into coaching and stuff like that. But, you know, it's it's a very scary time for athletes' retirement. Um, it, it, it's very hard to say the words, I'm retiring. Yeah. Very hard. And um, just think about, you know, how they're feeling at home. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, being able to connect with somebody like you who understands the transition and understands maybe just what kind of what, how, how you can plan for that and maybe also alleviate some of that just through having a plan. So, um, uh, you know, one of the things that we do ask everybody, Liz, is, is a a couple of, um, and I, I can tell you already, we've got lots of things that people I'm sure are are taking away, but (laughs) if, if, if you were to say, kind of two or three things like if if somebody's feeling like they're either in a in a rut or in one of those kind of transition times and are are in a bit of a negative headspace which can happen a lot right now um are there a couple of things that people could do you know right away or or very soon to to just kind of kickstart that process and and move themselves forward a bit well well one of the things that I start with and that's uh actually when my life coach started with me is writing down the values of that you have in life. What are your values? You know, is it respect, honesty? What is, and when you make this big list, you pick your top five and then you start looking at your life. Are your life, is your life matching your values? 
Are you in a marriage that isn't matching your values? Are you at a job that's not matching your values? Um, I worked at a job in Toronto, did not match my values. And I had to walk because I knew mentally it was going to bring me down. And, um, and so the first thing, as I say, is sit down in a quiet room, try to get off the, you know, the, the electronics and things of that, and really think about what you want in life. What is your passion? And don't let anyone ever tell you not to go after it. If it works, you've won. If it doesn't, you can say you gave it your best and you tried and you move on to the next thing. But, you know, I said this earlier, you're never too old for change. If there's something out there that you've been longing to do and wanting to do, because you really, I believe until you're 30 or 40 years old, or even in your forties, that's when those moments start really connecting with you. Like, gosh, I wish I could do that. Or I wish I had done that or something, right? What is stopping you? And that's where you, that's the hurdle you got to get over. And, um, and don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And, uh, you know, the worst thing that can happen is someone says no, and then you move on. Right. But, you know, don't just sit with all kinds of ideas and just not go after them or pursue them. And that's really, I think, um, my biggest advice, but the values are so important, you know, and when you get to, to my age, You know, you got to start looking at a bigger picture. Like, where do I want to be in five years? And I know all the hokey pokey stuff about vision boards and that. They actually work because it's a visual that you see to remind you to stay on track of your goal and your dream. And uh, and I think the last piece of advice is don't make goals that that you think you can be done in a month. Okay. And I always say it took me 22 years to stand on that friggin' podium. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? You've got to put the time in and you have to be patient and um, it will work out. You put that time and that commitment and that passion into what you love. It will work out, but it won't work out overnight. And I see too many people jumping into things. And then after about a month, they're like, oh, this isn't going to work and gone. I'm sorry, but the dog. (laughs) Oh, hey, that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, that's, I mean, that's fantastic advice. And we'll make sure that we kind of highlight those in the the show notes as well. Um, I I mean, I I will, um, I'll tell you that um, you've, uh, it's been a great conversation from my end, but I'm I'm actually going to personally thank you because, um, you know, I know people listen, people listen to the podcast all over the world. And, um, um, but you delivered to, um, I'm Canadian, I will kind of throw that out there. And you have, um, you kind of delivered a truly Canadian moment back in 1988, where I think anybody of kind of my genre, you know, our kind of age group, let's say, um, that it was a, a defining moment for a lot of people. So, so thank you for that, but thank also you. for, for being so open and honest after that about telling your story and, and helping other people and continuing to do that. So, mm-hmm. um, so f- thank you hey. for that. And uh, if people are trying to, you know, find out more about you and maybe more of the things, especially yep. you're doing now, what are some of the best ways of doing that? Well, I do have a website. Um, it's Liz Manley 88. So that's pretty much, and it's the same with my social media, Liz Manley 88. Um, but if anybody's interested in just, you know, maybe having a consult with me or something like that, mm-hmm. um, they can feel free to email me and it's lifecoachmanly88 at gmail.com. 
So lifecoachmanly88 at gmail.com. Um, uh, I'm still taking on clients and enjoying it. And um, as I said, it's not just about athletes. It's, it's, it's everyone. So, yeah. you know, if you're not an athlete, don't think you can't get in touch with me because um, you know what? You're just as important to me as anyone. And um, so that's the best way to get a hold of me. Great. Well, we'll put those in the show notes as well. So definitely take advantage of that. Um, Again, if you haven't hit subscribe on the podcast, do that now. Um, We have great guests every week, just like Liz. And uh, um, again, you know, if, uh, uh, you know, if if you um, want to kind of connect with Liz, we'll put that information in there right away, but absolutely do it. Um, You've heard a little bit about her today, but um, (laughs) but I will, I will say that, uh, you know, definitely connect with her. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. And thanks to everybody else for listening. And we'll talk again on Big Idea, Big Moves.